You know, it's interesting. Moms and dads protect kids at all costs, don't they? Isn't that kind of the idea? I mean, even if your own well-being is at stake, you're going to take care of your child. That's just instinct. And, and yet, every time you get on an airplane, the airline industry tells you to ignore your instinct, don't they? Don't take care of your child first. Make sure you've got your own oxygen on. Because if you don't take care of yourself first, you might end up in a situation where you can't take care of either yourself or your child. So there's kind of a simple principle here. You've got to be okay before you can be a part of seeing somebody else be okay. You got it? Okay, now hold on to that. We're going to be back to it in about 15 minutes, okay? So, so put that somewhere where you, can, you cannot forget, all right? We have uh, been looking at God questions now for six weeks. We've been talking about the kinds of things that come up when you're talking about God stuff. When you're, when you're thinking about it by yourself, or maybe you're talking in the classroom, or with a friend at the coffee pot, and the kinds of things that come up. And we've talked about, you know, does God exist? And, and, and how we prove that. We've looked at, has that God spoken? Has He revealed specific things about Himself and how we know Him? We looked at, uh, is there only one way to God? Is, is there just one way to, to know God and to get to God? We looked at evil and suffering. Last week, we dealt with all the hypocrites in the church. We've got none in ours left. Isn't that good news? And uh, so we, we've dealt with that. And today, we come to another question that, that I believe, if you've been in many discussions with people, it ranks right up there with a question that just continually and constantly comes up. And that's the question, what about that person over there? Apparently, we all know him. He, he's over there, and he hasn't heard. He hasn't heard the gospel. He hasn't heard about Jesus Christ. What happens to that person when they die? How is that person judged? Very common question. And I think that question is really kind of an offshoot of a question we've already dealt with. And that's the question, is there just one way to God? We dealt with that a couple of Sundays ago. And you'll remember we said there is just one way to God. Not because that's what we believe. It's because that's what Jesus said. It's that's because that's what God taught. You remember Jesus, he's the guy who conquered death. Y'all all with me on that one, right? Yeah, we said, you know, even if you're not a person of faith, there's really a good amount of evidence that suggests this guy actually conquered the grave. And if he conquered the grave, that just kind of ups the ante on what he has to say, doesn't it? it you know, if, if a guy can defeat death, then that gives him a little bit more authority to speak to life and death. And so what did Jesus say, the one who conquered the grave? You remember that passage, John 14, 6? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody, nobody in this room, nobody on the planet, nobody in the past, nobody in the future, no matter who they are, no matter what they've done, nobody is coming to God without going through me. The Bible goes on to teach in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. Do you hear how absolute these statements are? I mean, there, there's just no wiggle room in them. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name. There's only one name. There is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved. So clearly, God is teaching there is one way to Him. Now, that leads to the question then, okay, if there's just one way to Him, what about the person who never finds that one way? What about the person who never even hears? Never even has a, a quote-unquote chance to know about that one way to God? Now, you know what? I find it interesting 
that when you're talking to somebody about God, this becomes a stumbling block for them. Now, maybe this is a little bit pessimistic on my part, but, you know, I I look around at people and we can spend a huge chunk of our life with little to no concern about the spiritual well-being of people all around us. But all of a sudden, when confronted with my own spiritual well-being, man, I, I can't move another step until I find out about that guy over there somewhere. That person on the other side of the planet. I just can't do anything with God until I find out what God's doing with that person over there. Big deal. Can't, can't come past this hurdle. And I got to thinking about that. And I wonder, is our concern, and by the way, if it is, I applaud it. I, I think the scripture wants us to be concerned with spiritual well-being of people around us and people on the other side of the planet. But since that's not really in us, why does that trip us up? And, and I've gotten to think, you know, I'm not sure that our concern is so much for the spiritual well-being uh, as the guy on the other side of the planet as it is maybe what we're really asking, is God fair? You know, maybe I'm not really going to listen to everything this person's talking to me about with God. Maybe I'm just going to kind of remain a little bit ignorant. And I'm kind of wanting to know, what what does God do with people who haven't heard very much, haven't heard a lot, haven't heard anything? Maybe I can fall in that category. Maybe I can kind of keep myself in the ignorant category. I mean, does God, you know, just kind of judge on on a lower basis there? We're asking, is God just? Is he, is he fair? Is he really holding some kind of standard here? Now, I, I have really a very simple answer, and I don't, I don't think the answer evolves much more beyond this. The very simple answer, what does God do with somebody who's never heard? Simple answer. You can trust God with that. You can leave that person in God's hands. God is absolutely righteous, absolutely just. He only does what is right what is fair, and what is good. He won't, can't do anything unjust. He can't do anything unrighteous. He won't act in an unfair way. So we can just leave that person in God's hands and know he's got it covered. Now, some might want a little bit more explanation than that, and we can develop that a little bit more. And so as we think about what what happens to this person who's never heard, I think, first of all, we want to understand a couple of things about God. First of all, we do need to realize this is the part we don't like so much. This is the part that's not so fun, but it's truth. And we need to acknowledge it and recognize it. We need to realize God does judge sin and people will go to hell. Look at Revelation 21.8 here. But the cowards, unbelievers, vile, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters. And if we haven't picked you up yet, this next one scoops up the rest, doesn't it? And all liars. I mean, that that pretty much has got us all, doesn't it? Their share will be in the lake of fire and sulfur. The reality is, whatever whatever status we're talking about somebody, people are going to be judged for sin. And they are going to go to hell for that. Now, I think when we ask this question about, well, what is God going to do with this person? We're wondering, is, I mean, is, is, is God trying to trap people? Does, does God enjoy this? It, it, you know, is this is what God is working for? You know, the moment he, he sees us hell bound, he just makes sure that's where we end up going? No, folks, another thing we need to understand about God is, is that he does not enjoy seeing people go to hell. That's not his desire. Look at this passage here. Ezekiel thirty three eleven. Tell them. Listen to the passages, the passion in just these first couple of words. Tell them, as I live, the declaration of the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather 
Rather what? Rather my pleasure is that the wicked person should turn from his way and live. New Testament passage I quote a lot. The Lord is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Folks, God's excitement is not seeing people go to hell. He's not looking for a chance to trap you and judge you. What God has worked for, what God is working towards, is the salvation of people. The rescue from hell. The third thing we want to know about God is He is just. We count on that. Now, you know, you think about that. He justly judges sin. He justly forgives. That justice can kind of go two different directions. But he is just. Look at these passages. And folks, talking about the righteousness of God, we don't have enough PowerPoints and enough time to look at all the verses that refer to God as righteous. Here's just a couple. Psalm 96, 13. He will judge. Now, that's what we're talking about, right? I, I want to know, what, what is God going to do when he judges people? He will judge the world with righteousness. That word righteousness, believe it or not, means just kind of exactly what it looks like. It's somebody who's right. Somebody who does what is right by others. If we say a person is righteous, that means they have lived rightly by others. That means, you know, their family. It means their friends, their co-workers. It means strangers. I, I have lived right by my immediate world. I have lived right by the world. And it also means I've lived right by God. That's what a righteous person is. When we say God is righteous, certainly we mean he has done right by the world. He's done right by people. But the, the bigger issue for God, being right by us is natural. The, the issue for God, he's right by himself. You see, God's not, God's not meeting up to a standard. There's a standard and God rises up to it. God in his character, God in his very personality is that standard. He is what is righteous. So he's doing right by himself. Not by a measuring rod out there. But by himself. He's not going to do wrong by anybody. He's not going to be unfair to anybody. There is no other God but me. A righteous God and Savior. And then this passage. Revelation 19. Hallelujah. Salvation, glory and power. Belong to our God. Because his judgments. Now we're talking about judging again right. His judgments are true. And they're righteous. There's no place where you're going to look at God judging and say, whoa, God, you weren't, you weren't working with enough information there. Hey, hey, God, you seem to be leaving out, you know, something to the benefit of somebody else there. No, there's no place where that is going to happen. You know what I love about this Revelation passage is this is right at the end of time. And, and, and we are starting to see the big picture. You remember when we talked about evil and suffering a couple weeks ago? We said one of our challenges, you know, when we get in the midst of that and we can't see God, we can't understand God, we, we can't hear God, and, and we begin to define God by that moment, and our difficulty is we're just looking at a sliver in time. Remember I used the phrase, we're, we're looking at a story that's, that's a paragraph on one page, but the, the story is 10,000 plus pages long, and we're trying to make sense out of the whole. We're trying to see the beginning from the end, and we can't do it, so we can't make sense out of it. But when we arrive at this point in Revelation 19, when we arrive at this place in future, guess what, folks? We're starting to put it all together. We're beginning to see the whole context. We're beginning to see the beginning from the end. And in all of this, we're seeing how God is making wrongs right. We're seeing God's judgment against evil. We're seeing how the story is coming to a culmination. And as we see all that, we fall back and we praise God for what? How true and righteous He was. We say, oh my gosh, Lord, 
I'm seeing it all now. Man, in that person, in that place, in that situation, man, in every single place, you did exactly what was right. In every place, you did what was right. And so, folks, it's from that kind of mindset that with authority, I say, you don't know what God's going to do with, with people who haven't heard? Don't worry about it. He's going to do what is right. You can leave them in His hands. You can trust Him with that. So there's a few things we want to understand about God as we think about, hey, what happens in the end with people who've never heard? Now, we also need to understand a couple of things about man. You know, when we ask that question, I think, I don't know this for sure, I don't know what every person is thinking, but I really believe we're making two assumptions there. We're implying two things. When we ask the question, now what, what's God going to do with that person who's never heard? I think we're almost implying, now what's God up to? You see, when I ask, can I trust you? That kind of means I'm not sure I can trust you. And we're, so we're kind of wondering, OK, is, is God trustworthy in this? We've already answered that. But the other thing we're assuming in this question, and it's why we want to know about the trustworthiness of God, is we assume man's pretty good. You know, that guy over there on the other side of the plant's never heard. He is a good man. He's a good guy. And you know what? He deserves a chance. Matter of fact, doesn't everybody deserve a, a couple of chances? And so, see, since he's good and he deserves these chances, then I want to know what's God going to do about this. Now, the, the problem with that is, is the assumptions are wrong. The, the, man is not good. And man has had lots of chances. You see, we're implying that never hearing something means we've had no chances. Man is not good. And man has had lots of chances and rebelled against every single one of them. Let me show you what I mean. Look at these passages. Romans chapter 3 says there's no one righteous. Not even one. Now, don't you think? Well, now, wait a minute. I mean, there's, there's awfully good people. It, it didn't say whether somebody's done some good things or not. It says no one's righteous. Well, gosh, what? Gosh, what? Mother Teresa? Man, she was a great gal. What about Billy Graham? What, a, what an awesome, what a good, good person. No, there's no one righteous. Remember how we just described righteous? Somebody who always does what is right by those around them. Folks, we don't always do what is right by those around us. I mean, let's be honest. We struggle with doing right by the very people we love the most. I mean, you take your own mate, your children, your best friends. Man, sometimes it's work and effort just to always do right by them. And then you throw in a couple of not so good friends and, and some strangers and some enemies. Folks, we have not done what is right by all people all of the time. And when we're not doing right by others, we're not doing right by God. And there's times we haven't done right by God that didn't even involve others. Folks, there's times where we've not done right. We're not righteous, not one. All have sinned, everybody. Look at this next passage. This is Romans 1. Now, Romans 1 this passage right here is a verse that probably most specifically answers the question of the morning. Look what this says. As a result, people are without excuse. Well, now, well, now wait a minute, Lord, before you judge me, you need to know. I never knew anything about this. I, I never heard anything about this appointment. I was just walking down the street, and here I am. And no, you're, you are without excuse. Well, what do you mean I'm without excuse? For though you knew God, you did know God. Folks, everybody knows there's a God. 
For though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed creatures, and reptiles. Now, what are these two passages saying? First one's pretty clear. We've all done wrong. The idea that somebody out there is innocent, that, that all they've done is good, is, is not true. We have all done wrong. You say, well, maybe they never had a Bible. Maybe Not only did they not know about Jesus, they didn't know it was wrong to lie. Did you know that everybody knows it's wrong to lie? When you lie, something inside you says, this isn't right. Well, what I just did, what I just said, to that that's not right. Now, what happens is we get kind of used to sinning, don't we? We kind of get used to lying and we get to a place where we kind of can sear our conscience. We can kind of burn it. We can kind of harden it. And we can get to a place where we can sin and not feel a conviction. We can sin and not, not feel really anything bad about it at all. But while we may arrive to that place and think, well, gosh, I haven't, I haven't really done anything wrong this week. While we can get to that place, the reality is we pass through a lot of gates we, it took a while to burn that conscience. It took a while to get hardened. And we kept, we kept getting that. Hey, you know what? What I just did was wrong. What I just said was wrong. My attitude is wrong. The way I'm acting is wrong. Every human being on the planet does that and keeps doing it. So this idea that we're innocent is completely false. But then we go on from that and there's something in us that says there's a God. Remember when we talk about the existence of God? One simple thing. Who put this here? If you walk through the room and the, and the Bible was left, you say, who put this here? You would never assume it just happened. Well, the same is true of the universe. Who put it there? Who put that there? There's something in us that knows there's a God. He's really smart. He's really big. He's eternal. He's strong. There's something in us that knows this. And then we turn around, we get a piece of wood, and we start carving something and say, this is going to be God. And then I bow down and I worship it. But wait a minute. How could this have put the sun and the moon and stars in place? I just created this. Now, a lot of us in here, we're going to say, well, no, you're talking about, you know, a long time ago. I didn't, I've never done that. I've, I've never carved anything out and bowed down and worshipped it. Folks, did you know that every person in this room is guilty of idolatry? Every person in this room has worshipped an idol or others, idols. Usually we have more than one. Gosh, from a, a certain person to a kind of relationship, to a position, to an achievement, to, to a, a way of life, to money. One we all struggle with. When we say we worship it, that means we give it the great worth. It's the great worth in life. It's the great meaning in life. It's what I strive after. It's what I give my heart, my attention, my energy, and my time to. Obviously, in America, I, I think this is true throughout Throughout history, but in America, we definitely worship the dollar. We definitely look to make a great illustration, folks. Simple illustration. How easy is it to think the thought, if I just had a little bit more money? Gosh, that would fix some things. I mean, think about it right now. A lot of us in this room think, but man, that would really take care of a lot of stress. That could really solve a lot of problems. Man, if I could just get a little more money. How many times have you said, man, I'll tell you something. Life would sure be better if I had a little bit more of God. If I was growing a little bit stronger in my relationship. No, no, we really don't say that. We say, 
our God. More money. This is what will fix things. This is what will give life and hope. And we bow down and worship it. We give our lives doing everything we can to get it. But wait a minute. This, this didn't put the sun and the moon and the stars in place. This doesn't, this doesn't say anything about the miracle of birth. Surely doesn't answer any questions about death. This can't be God. I know that, but you know what? My mind becomes senseless. It becomes darkened. And I begin to go after things that don't even make any sense. But I worship that as God. Folks, we've had a lot of chances. You woke up and saw this morning, you had a chance to acknowledge there's a God who did this. There's a God who made this. So the idea that there's somebody out there that's innocent, the idea that there's somebody out there that has never had a chance to know the true God, it's not true. God has revealed Himself. Now how about another question about man? Can somebody end up in heaven? Can they be saved without ever uttering the name Jesus Christ? There is a group that will be in heaven that never said Jesus. That, that, that never knew Him. And I would call that group, if I were to give them a title, I'd call them Old Testament saints. Old Testament believers. Let me show you what a saving faith in the Old Testament looks like. Look at this passage from Psalm 49. This is David writing. He says, yet these... Now, in the context of Psalm 49, the these... Here again, it's money. It, it, it's resources. It, it's my wealth. These cannot save me. But from other passages, we know we can put a lot of words in the these. You can put your wealth, you can put, uh, you know, this relationship I have with a certain person, uh, my efforts, my good works, my religiosity. These things cannot redeem a person. They cannot pay his ransom to God since the price of redeeming him is too costly. Stop trying. Did you ever think the Bible said that? You're trying to be good enough to get into heaven? You're trying to be good enough to get God's eye and have him bless you? Stop trying. You're not going to get there. It's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to do anything, rest of the verse, so that you may live forever and not see the pit. You're not going to be able to pay that price. You're not going to be able to do enough so that you end up escaping the pit. Look how David goes on. But, while that's my status, while that's my condition, but God... God will redeem my life from the power of Sheol, for He will take me. David comes to the place in his life where he says, you know what, there's nothing I can do to save myself. I, I, I recognize my sin, I recognize my inability. There is nothing I can do to make myself right with God. There's nothing I can do to make myself righteous. Nothing I can do to escape the pit. But I trust in God. I trust that God has an eye for me. And that God can do this work. Now, folks, stop and think about it. Is that faith right there any different than our faith today? I, I, I am trusting in the work of God to save me. That's what David is saying. Now, you and I, we know what the name of that work is, don't we? It's Jesus. And we know what that work looks like. The cross. But this is an example of a saving faith that never actually utters the word Jesus. Now, the question is, can somebody today? I mean, David was working with other scriptures. David was working with the Holy Spirit to come to that faith, to come to that place. Can somebody today, without ever knowing of the Bible, without ever hearing of the person of Jesus, could they come to a place where with what they know of God, 
They say, you know what? That, that God is righteous and holy. I'm not. I, if I can be saved, if I can be rescued, I'm going to have to depend upon that God to do it. Can that happen today? Well, folks, that right there was a work of the Holy Spirit. So I suppose if the Holy Spirit wanted to put that faith in somebody, he can. I think it's probably not likely. Probably, probably not what is happening without the Scriptures. But if the Holy Spirit lays that faith on somebody's heart, that is the kind of faith that saves somebody. And if you think about it, I'm going to say it again. It's the same faith that you and I have, minus the word Jesus, because they didn't know to utter the word Jesus. Now, let's remember the conversation we're in. We're talking to somebody. Man, have you, have you met Christ? Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what he means in my life. Let me, let me tell you what I'm learning and, and, and what I'm growing. Well, you know, I, I, I don't know about that God stuff. Uh, you, you talk about being saved. Well, what, a, what about that person over there? What, what about that person who's never heard? Well, you know what? That's a good question. You remember our flight instructions? You know, I would encourage you to put on your oxygen before we can do join God in putting oxygen on others. You've got to deal with something in your own life before you're okay to go be a part of what God is doing in other people's lives. If somebody brings up somebody else's spiritual well-being, man, I applaud that. I mean, that's always applaud being concerned about the spiritual well-being of others. But while you're concerned about those who have not heard, you need to be thinking and concerned about you who has heard. You know, Jesus in the Gospels, is talking to his disciples. And it's kind of this subject right here. And he says, uh, hey, what are people out there saying about me? Who, who do they say that I am? That guy over there, what does he know about God, about the Son of God? And so the disciples give some answers. They talk about what they're hearing and what people are saying. But that's not really Jesus' question. He uses that to turn the question. He turns it right on him and he says, but who do you say that I am. You see, folks, that's the real issue. The real issue for you is not what is somebody out there doing with God. The real issue for you right now is what are you doing with God? And when you respond to that truth, then you will genuinely have the heart of God and can join him in going to those who've not heard. So somebody says, well, you know, what about those who've never heard? Man, you know what? I appreciate your sensitivity toward that. that that's kind of like the heart of God. He's concerned about people who haven't heard also. But you know what? We can trust him. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells me that one day out in the future, we're going to be seeing what God did with everybody, including those who've not heard. And did you know the Bible says we're going to stand back and praise him for how rightly, how perfectly he dealt with everyone. But the real issue right now is not those who've not heard. The real issue is you. You have heard. What are you going to do with Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Bible. It answers our questions. Sometimes it takes study. Sometimes it takes effort. But God, the answers are there and they're clear and they're so direct and they're so straightforward. Your truth is good. Lord, I pray that we bring our lives in line with that truth. And as we begin a process of daily growing and moving toward that truth, Lord, I pray we learn to communicate and to share that truth with others. 
Because you do want people to hear. And you do want people to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For without that gospel, for without Jesus, there's a horrible future. Without that gospel, without Jesus, there is a future that is described by the worst words. Weeping, gnashing of teeth, fire, darkness, eternal suffering. That's not your desire for anybody on this planet. That's not your desire for anybody in this room. You have sent your son so there can be something better. So there can be joy and hope and life and life eternal in your glory and in your presence. Oh Lord, why as believers we need to be very concerned about those who have not heard. For any in this room today who have never come to you in faith, I pray their concern, their conviction right now is their own life. And they're dealing with what they have done with Christ. And if there's any in here who do not know you today, may today be the day they take that step of faith. May today be the day they come and, and receive your passion and desire for them. Salvation from the pit. And they come into the life and life eternal that you've designed for them in the person of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, would you just whisper in their hearts right now? I pray they know they're not hearing my words. They're not even hearing my voice. But they know they're hearing you call them. They're hearing you talk to them. Lord, if there's any in here today who you would have to be a part of this church family. For their growth, for their well-being and their spiritual life, they need to be connected to a church and, and you'd want them here. God, if this is the place you want them, would you just tap them on the shoulder right now, Lord? Call them forward to become a part of Colonial Heights Baptist. God, may your work be accomplished in this moment. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.